Hello, and welcome to episode 42 of Together a Brighton Hove Albion podcast. Uh, like I said, the summer's going to be a weird one. Um, I'm going to really just do podcasts as and when I need to. Um, and the biggest one that we need to be talking about uh, this week is a bit of a no-brainer, and that is Graham Potter. Uh, I knew I wanted to do an episode on Graham. I weren't sure what I wanted to include in here, but I got a really useful email from uh, one of my listeners, David. Uh, David is a fan in the US, um, and he really asked a whole bunch of questions. <laughs> um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to delve into that for him and you. Uh, he said himself, uh, David says, uh, I've seen 15 examples of articles about Graham Potter, his five, his, his five values and his backstory. Uh, but I have very little about what it'll actually do in relation to Brighton. Um, what does it? What does his record look like? What does his stats look like? What's his? What What does his players succeed? How do his players succeed? How does he get them to succeed? Um, so I thought, given the fact that uh, this podcast is kind of priding itself on being uh, a man with the numbers um, and that knows what the, what the situation is, I thought, why not? Let's let's take a deep dive into the life of Graham Potter. Um, I'm currently recording on Saturday Saturday morning, well, just about to hit midday over here on uh, the East Coast, and it's just gone to extra time for Newport and Tramia. Um, just thought I'd, I don't know why I even said it really, but it's just interesting to watch this playoff game uh, unfold and just how far we've come since this. Uh, it's crazy to think that we were down here at one point in time. Um, and we're now talking about this this new manager coming in today after our second successful Premier League uh, campaign. And I guess the reason it res- it uh, what do what's the word? The reason it comes to me uh, is given how Ostersund uh, how Ostersund's under Potter uh, progressed. So talking of Potter, um, Graham Potter didn't really have the uh, the most illustrious of careers um he never did he you know he plied his trade in the lower leagues um he never really did anything too crazy started out at birmingham city uh he had stints just about everywhere he was a very much a journeyman player um he made 320 appearances in his career and he actually retired at 30 years old um because he felt himself that he was falling behind the game uh, his clubs he was at, uh, Birmingham City, Wickham Wanderers, Stoke City, uh, when they were a lower league team, Southampton, West Bromwich Albion, Northampton, Reading, York, Boston, Shrewsbury, Macclesfield. Um, for those overseas fans who possibly don't, uh, recognize a lot of these names, that says pretty much all you need to know about the career of Graham Potter as a player. Um, he really didn't have a lot going on for him, uh, and the story of how he even came to become an Ostersons manager was a very interesting one. Uh, they'd just been relegated to the fourth tier. They were absolutely just desolate. Um, they had nothing really going for them. Their new owner came in. Uh, and to be very clear, this is not a rich owner. Um, this is not a sugar daddy. This is not someone who's coming in like the, the Arabs with Manchester City or the Russians with Chelsea. Uh, this is just... A man who's bought the club or took over the club and wants to wants to take a look at something new. Uh, 
every managerial appointment he was making was poor. Um, so he turned to, I can't remember who it was he turned to advice for, but basically they said, this is the man you want. Try him, try this Potter. He could do something for you that changes your club forever. And whoever that man was, I can't remember who it was. I think it was in an article I read somewhere. He's a freaking Nostradamus because the the big break for Potter and for Ostersons has changed that club forever. And it made Potter the manager he is today. So on December 23rd, uh, Graham Potter is appointed manager um, of Ostersons in 2010. His overall stats, um, and we're going to go through this deeper, but his overall stats at his time as Ostersons manager, um, he managed 249 games, won 127 of them, drew 60, lost 62. Uh, his tactical formation um, with Ostersons was a 3-5-2 uh, hybrid with a 4-3-3. Um, he really focused on overlapping wingbacks uh, and a sweeper in that back three. Um, you can there's a bunch of uh, wingbacks and wingers that you'll recognise here in the future. Ken Semmer, who's now at Watford, is one of them. Uh, David Akam for the Americans uh, over here is one of them too. And there was more than that. There's a couple of Championship wingers now uh, who made their name at Ostersons under Potter. Um, but starting in the 2010 season, uh, he, well, it's technically the 2011 season. This is where he started. Uh, they played 22 games in the lowest division of the Swedish, Swedish fourth tier. Um, he immediately turned them around. Uh, he won 16, drew four and lost two, uh, won the league by 11 points. Um, and Bessarian Kodalev, their Georgian goalkeeper, won the player of the season award. Um, the fourth division, I guess, has uh, regions, uh, north, south, east, west, um, and he actually won the player of the season award across all the regions. Uh, it's also worth noting that their top scorer was David Akam, uh, the current Major League Soccer player and US player. Um, as I already said, this is going to be a consistent story of players going to play for Potter, uh, taking, a, taking a gamble and becoming something more than they, than they turned up at the first place with. Um, first season... Not much to talk about, honestly, because he he flew up the league, um, turned them around, made them a great team in that division, just dominated it. One by 11 points, easy peasy. 2012 hits, uh, 26 games in the third division of the Swedish division, and he romped the league there too. Uh, played 26 games, won 15, drew 8, lost 3. Uh, they ended up winning the league on goal difference. The top three in that division were so far ahead of every other team. It was wild. Uh, their top goal scorer, Amir Smagic. Smagic? There's going to be a lot of horrific name pronunciations today. Uh, he was a Swedish six foot five forward. Uh, he actually made 51 appearances for Ostersunds and scored 17 goals with them over this career. Uh, 2012, however, was definitely his heyday. Um, this was his his starring year for Ostersunds. Um, and he played, again, as part of that 3-5-2 and, and made the difference that put them above everybody else to get them up on goal difference. So with the, first, with the fourth division and the third division out of the way, much like 
uh, over here, you eventually hit a wall. Um, every team does it. Every team can romp leagues as much as they want to with a bit of money behind them or an incredible manager behind them. Uh, similar to Brighton under Gus Poyet, we you know we smashed the league, um, League One, and hit that wall in the championship. Um, we also did it when we came up from League Two to League One and then straight to the championship. Um, we hit that wall there too. Uh, this was Osterson's wall. Um, this was a time for Graham Potter to consolidate in the 2013 season, his third with Ostersunds. Uh They play 30 games in the second division of the Swedish uh, Football League. Uh, in his 30 games, he won 10, drew 9 and lost 11, uh, finished 10th out of a possible 16. Rasmus Lindqvist was in the top assist charts with 7 assists. Lindqvist is a left wingback. Uh, he has since continued to excel in the top division of Swedish football. He is one of many, just like a cam, uh, wingers or wingbacks that Potter turns into an absolute superstar. <coughs> Relevant to his level. I'm not saying that they're all, you know, the next Jerome Boateng. But uh, at left back, he was uh, an incredible player um, for them and for that team. Uh, to finish 10th out of 16 and being being the top of the assist charts, no mean feat. Jamie Hopcutt was their top scorer in the year of 2013. Uh, a five foot nine forward with a bit of a turn of pace. Um, Jamie Hopcutt is a very interesting story because he was also cut as a youngster um, at York City. Um, and Potter gave him a call and asked him to come over. And he's still playing for Ostersons today. Um... And his best is yet to come. Uh, we're in 2013 right now, and uh, Hopkut has not even started really to show what he can do over there under Graham Potter. So 2013, they consolidate themselves in the division, 10th out of 16. Three teams go down, uh, so they weren't even really in too much danger at all. Um, 2014 comes around. Another year of consolidation for Potter and Ostersons. Uh, 2014, 30 games played, 12 wins, 9 losses, 9 draws. A small push into the positives. They've changed their win record to a more positive one. Uh, and actually, it's enough to finish in 5th place. Uh, it's definitely a very tight division. Um, barring the teams that are kind of right at the bottom and right at the top. They were almost 10 points clear of relegation and 15 points away from promotion. Um, you can tell that's a huge, it's a huge gap between the middle middle of the table and the rest. Um, however, it was a reassuring sign that things are going to continue to improve. Uh, Mudo Barrow, Barrow, Mudao Barrow. Uh, he's a winger at Reading, a right winger. Uh, he was their top scorer this season, uh, bagging 10 goals in all competitions. Hopkirk continued to play, score goals, not as many as Barrow. Um, but at the end of 2014, uh, just looking at the very basics, because I've got to be honest, there's not a lot of material to look at uh, for the Swedish lower divisions. And a lot of it is very revisionist um, in that people, when they do look back at Potter, uh, they kind of... It's tough to get an on the, on-the-ground look at what he was doing at the time. Um, so I'm really looking at the stats, looking at the goal scorers, looking at the at the formation that they were playing and grabbing as many highlights as I can this morning. I've churned through like two hours worth of lower league Swedish football highlights and I've got to admit, it's absolute toss. Um, oh, excuse me. Just 
having a drink. So, um, as I was saying, they, they really are playing this real sexy stuff at this point. It's a 3-5-2 more than it is a 4-3-3. Um, and by 3-5-2, it's almost... Uh, in attack, it's very similar to... So, in attack, it, it's really hard to explain without it being a visual medium, unfortunately. But uh, in attack, they have almost five people up front. So, they have uh, three centre-backs when they're on the attack. They have two wing-backs that are essentially wingers. Um, they have two wingers that are essentially secondary strikers. They have their main striker, and they have a number 10 that essentially comes forward to be that second striker too. I know, it's a lot. <laughs> um, and when they have a... When they go back on defence, they have five at the back, with those two wing-backs tucking back in, and they have four in midfield, um, with that second striker dropping back into that number 10 role, and then they have their one out-and-out striker that tends to be a taller player, um... For example, the the Smagich for the six foot five player before, um, but yeah, it's it's it is balls to the wall football at this point. Uh, they're really starting to find their place in the second division of Swedish football, and twenty fifteen was to be was to be the division that well the season that they remembered here. Um, twenty fifteen comes along, uh, they have a real marked improvement, and this was the year of Jamie Hopgood. Uh, they won 18 games, they drew 8, and they lost 4. Massive improvement, and it was enough to see them f promoted to the f top flight of Swedish football. Uh, came second in the league, and they were led by that man from 2013. Uh, Hopkip bagged 15 goals this year. Uh, Michael Amo, a Nigerian winger, uh, again, another winger, leading the assist charts. Um, and as I was saying, Hopkip is still there. Um, he's known as being very good on the ball. Uh, his ability to play through balls for his wingers uh, is one-two football. He enjoys playing in the build-up. Um, he is that kind of player that's comfortable dropping deeper if needed. And it's something that you see Potter employ almost all the way through his managerial career. Um, which gets us to what, what does it mean for our players in the future? And that's something that we're going to hit up a little bit later on. Um, 2016. First season in the basically the Premier League of Swedish football, um, and this is really what took Graham Potter to the next level um, and really started his his ascension to the Premier League football that he's about to manage next year. First season in the top flight, they played thirty games, won twelve, drew six, lost twelve. Um, incredibly good season. They finished eighth out of sixteen and were much closer to the top than they were to the bottom. And more important than any of that, they also won the Swedish Cup. Think of it as the FA Cup uh, in their first season in the top flight. Essentially, they had the sort of season Wolves had this season uh, as kind of an example for similarity. Um, and they really hit the ground running with some of their signings. Uh, Saman Godos uh, is their next big goal scorer, getting 10 in the league in his first year in 27 appearances. Uh, Samin is now playing at, uh, God, this is going to hurt because I don't know how you pronounce this team. Uh, Amiens, Amiens, in the French top division, Amiens, Amiens, whatever. Uh, they are now in the French Premier League and he plays for them on the reg. Uh, he plays as a left inside forward or striker. Um, he is one of those players that we were just talking about when they attack. 
he tucks in and essentially becomes a, a striker on the left-hand side um, to partner the man up top. He is still doing really well in the French League. Um, and over this season and the next, Potter would begin to experiment with different formations. Uh, looking at a 4-2-3-1 formation, he began to use every now and again and a more static 4-3-3. Um, but 3-5-2 continued to be his most favoured formation throughout the entire time at Ostersunds. But... He recognized that with a with a change in division and a large leap in quality, he needed to adapt, and adapt he did. Um, and they won they won silverware from it, which is absolutely incredible for a team like Ostersunds. Um, you know their their attendance is still in four figures. Um, it's it's quite an incredible achievement to be able to do this as fast as he had. Um, Twenty seventeen comes around, uh, and this was the one. This was the one that, uh, this was his last season in charge of Ostersunds, and for good reason, frankly, um, because of what he achieved here. They played 30 games. Uh, they won 13, drew 11, and lost 6. Uh, that's a big change uh, in the losing category. Um, they went from losing 12 to losing 6, and transferred most of those to draws. Um, excellent season. Finished 5th, just outside the four European qualification places. Um, but thanks to their victory... In the FA Cup kind of competition in Sweden, they'd already qualified for the Europa League the year before. Um, so the year of 2017-2018 was the big European campaign that broke Potter across Europe. He changed the game entirely um, with Samir Godos, uh, Watford's Ken Semmer now, uh, and a new striker, Islamovic, um, at six foot two. He's their main man going forward. Um, had a real turn of pace on him from everything I watched. Uh, and this four five, this three five two formation that seemed to have took the league by storm. Um, he took them through an almost fairy tale Europa campaign. Uh, in the second qualifying round, which is the the qualifying round that they entered in, um, they actually beat Galatasaray. Uh, Galatasaray are one of the biggest teams in Turkey. Uh, there's two. <coughs> Excuse me. There are two or three big teams in Turkey, and Galatasaray are one of them. Um, Ostersunds bash them three-one on aggregate. Uh, they really, from every from the highlights that I saw, they really didn't look under a lot of pressure a lot of the time, and they uh, kind of cruised on to the third round of qualification. In the third round of qualification, they played the Luxembourg champions. Um, and beat them 3-1 on aggregate too. They drew 1-1 at their place and they won 2-0. Uh, super easy, simple, simple game really. Uh, and moved on to the final qualification round against the Greek side, PAOK. And I'm sure they, I know they have a much lengthier name, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, they are actually one of the better sides in the Greek league now, I believe. They're really pushing forward. I'm not sure what changed them, uh, but they are quite the side at the minute. Uh, they actually, Ostersons beat them on away goals. They drew 3-3 on aggregate and bashed them on away goals. Um, and through to the group stage, they went. A group stage that pretty much anybody at that point still wasn't really paying too much attention to them. Um, but nobody expected them to get anywhere near this level. Uh, and this is when I started to draw towards Ostersons and Graham Potter. And the thing, this, this thing he had built at this small Swedish club, uh... They were drew in a group with Atletico Bilbao, 
Hertha Berlin, two very established teams in the German and Spanish leagues, and uh, a team called Zoria. Zoria. Uh, they are a team in the Ukraine. They are basically one of the secondary teams behind Shakhtar Donetsk. Um, and throughout those six games, they only lost the once. Uh, away at Atletico Bilbao, 1-0. Unbelievable. Unheard of. Nobody thought anything of the sort would happen here. Um, and they finished second in the group on goal difference behind Bilbao with 11 points. They did the double over Zoya, and they got four points off of Hertha Berlin. Hertha Berlin are a good side. Like, they are a they are a team that would probably either do just fine at the very bottom of the Premier League or be towards the top of the championship. This is not a team that you would expect to get bashed by Ostersons, um, but they did. They got through to the round of 32 where they drew Arsenal. Um, huge game where they did eventually lose 4-2 on aggregate. Uh, they got beat 3-0 at home, um, which left them kind of in big trouble. Uh and almost ended up pulling an offset or upset at at half time at the Emirates. Uh, they were well in control of that game. Um, they had scared Arsenal to death, but they ended up losing four two on aggregate. Uh, but the more important thing here was that all eyes were now very very much aware of what Potter can do, what he had done, um, and what Ostersons were capable of on the big stage. His Europa stats ended up. Uh, Played 14, won 8, drew 3, lost 3. Those losses were Bilbao, Arsenal, and uh, the game at PAOK, the Greek team. Um, And all the rest were wins or draws. Um, At this point, his time at Swansea uh, is about to begin, and his time at Ostersons is coming to an end. But to be very clear here, Ostersons is a team with a turnover of around £5 million at their peak under Potter. This is not some, as I said before, some sugar daddy football manager save um, or some cheat code someone's put in. Uh, Graham Potter is the cheat code. He achieved things that nobody should be able to do, but he did. Uh, For those people who do play football manager, he was essentially the ideal football manager save. He came in to some no-name team in the bottom of some European or Scandinavian league and turned them into a European relevant outfit insane um and he was rewarded for it by moving on to swansea um heading over to swansea was an interesting one for him uh he is a fiercely loyal manager um which is all the more surprises how we managed to snag him ourselves um he had to uproot his entire life over from sweden to wales uh probably why he came over here right i'd rather be in brighton than in wales but no offense, no offense to any Welsh listeners. God, just lost half my viewer base. Um, heading to Swansea. So he only managed one season at Swansea. Uh, he managed 51 games. He won 21, drew 11, and lost 19. Um, now I've read as much as I can uh, from different Swansea fans, Swansea forums, as to the history of what he did at Swansea, um, and it looked like he really looked to see what his players could do best in in terms of formation um he spent some time playing three at the back he spent some time playing a 4-3-3 uh but it seems that he eventually settled on a 4-2-3-1 as his main uh as his main formation at swansea uh danny james 
soon to be going off to Manchester United for 30 odd million by the sounds of it. Um, and Ollie McBurney, their striker, uh, being their standout attackers. Um, and the thing is, is Swansea were Swansea are a team that offloaded 16 first team players upon relegation and strengthened almost non-existently. Um, Potter is a player is a is a manager that uh, is able to do wonders with what he's given, um, and that's why it, it's super interesting to see what he's going to do with us. Um, so an overall summary on him. Uh, he likes to play a possession-based game, be it three at the back with Ostersons or this 4-2-3-1 he adapted with at Swansea. Uh, both teams broke at an incredible pace down both wings. Uh, his wingers and his wingbacks were and are vital to just about everything he did at both clubs. Um, his wingers essentially are inside forwards as much as they are wingers, uh, bringing them to three strikers almost. Um, he likes to bring through players, uh, we know this because he had no option, at least for his first few seasons at Ostersons and with the financial situation at Swansea. Um, he is adept and used to doing that kind of shoestring budget uh, recruitment. So the first question, I guess, we have of Potter under Brighton and how all of this re reflects on Brighton, because that was kind of the main question. How is this all going to link to us? Um, so first question is, how will the the wealth of money changes approach um never has he had so many resources available to him as he has this season it has to change him he has to adapt um but how will it work out what is he going to do uh where will he look where will he want to focus his recruitment it's going to be incredibly interesting to see uh, how he spends the war chest that he's been given uh, compared to... And, I mean, we aren't going to spend a crap ton of money, right? Like, we know this. We're not a Manchester City or a Liverpool. But when you compare what he had to spend at his two previous clubs, this is essentially a war chest for him. He has no experience with this kind of money before. Um and it's a good job, too, because the places we needed to improve over the summer that we looked at previously, uh, that looks to have multiplied uh, looking at Potter's style of play. Um, if it's pacey uh, and counter-attack wingers that he needs, then he needs to shop for them. Um, James has gone to United, so he is no longer an option. Uh, he is not anybody who's going to be able to um come to the Albion. it looks like there was a rumor of him coming on loan after going to united it doesn't look like that's going to be something that happens uh frankly i'm not surprised i think united need him to be in and around the first 18 at this point um but of the wingers we have uh is kieto and Solly march in the main first team squad are the only two that fit the bill um is kieto is not going to be fit for the start of this year coming up so we really only have Solly March that fits the bill that he wants as a counter-attacking pacey winger. Anthony Knockart is not the pacey winger he needs. Uh, Lacardia is definitely not the pacey winger he's looking for. And Jahan Baksh has not shown um, very much pace at all in terms of being able to bring it out like the players he had previously at his old clubs. Interestingly, uh, Gaio Keres fits the bill. Um, he could be one of the players that really profits from this new manager. Uh, so I suspect that we will be signing a winger or two this summer. Um, and he also seems to succeed with two separate types of strikers. 
um, fast strikers or pacey strikers who can play a part in the build-up, um, and tall strikers for wingers to play off of as well as contribute. Uh, Hopgut was not the tallest player at Ostersunds, but his ability to hold the ball up and play as part of a front three was vital. Um, to be honest, this looks like it's bad news for Glenn Murray and Jürgen Lagardia. Um Neither have shown any signs of being able to do this. Glenn has not got the pace um, to be able to do what Potter wants to do with any team we've seen so far. And Lacardia does not have any of the credentials that um, Potter seems to look for in a striker. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with them. Are we going to sign Dolly McBurney? Yes, I think so. Uh, <clears throat> Ollie McBurney is Swansea's uh, six foot two Scottish striker, bagged about twenty five goals for them this season. Um, yes, I think we'll buy him. Uh, he is probably going to be one of the players that Potter brings in. Honestly, it yes, I think we're going to sign him. Um, the winners in this is probably going to be Florin Andone and Connolly. Uh, both fit the bill of the players we have spoken about in the past. Uh, both Andone and Connolly have stats or attributes or styles of play that synchronize with uh, Samir Godos that they played for, that, that played for him under Ostersons. Hopkut at Ostersons, Islamovic at Ostersons, and McBurney at Swansea. Um, they, are, they are the sort of players that we're going to be looking at getting more out of, um, and we don't really have a player that is akin to McBurney or Islamovic. Um, Andoni and Connolly both have a lot in common with the Goddess and Hopcut stuff, uh, and that's why I think we're probably going to sign McBurney and AN Other. Um, I think we're probably going to look at two strikers, two wingers uh, as signings that we make this season. Um, we already know roughly about the price that we would have to pay for McBurney, and that's probably why I think we'll get him. Um, another place we're probably going to have to be looking at is wingbacks. Um, at left wingback, Bernardo seems built for this system, uh, whether it's the 4-2-3-1 or the 3-5-2 that he, uh, he employs with us. Bernardo looks absolutely built for it. Um, this could be an incredible year for Bernardo. Uh, Montoya, however, I think is going to really suffer. Uh, he does not look to have the same credentials um, to succeed as a right wing back for a Potter side. Um, and Bruno made the very best decision possible um, to retire. A right wing back or a right back comfortable with being a right wing back um, will almost certainly be on the list. Um, who knows? Potter is an incredible developmental manager by the looks of things uh, through all intents and purposes. So maybe Montoya will become one of those players capable. Uh, but I would guess that a right wing back is definitely going to be on the list. Um, the one thing we can't really know about is the centre midfielders. Um, because almost all of his uh, team's effective play comes from wide men and wide counters and wide build-up. Um, so what kind of centre midfielders does he look for? Uh, I don't honestly know. But looking at the stats and looking at the formations he's played and looking at the way these players in the central midfield play, um, it looks like he prefers dynamic box-to-box uh, -box players who can both defend and attack um, and kind of keep that discipline to stay in the center of the park. Uh, so looking at our squad and what we have, um, the winners uh, by Potter's introduction is Bissouma and Kyle. Both seem to have what he would look for um, in an effective central midfielder in his role. The losers, uh, Davy Proper and Pascal Gross. Um, Proper 
seems to be neither a super effective attacking midfielder nor a super effective defensive midfielder. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him with rumours of uh, transfer interest coming in for him. So who knows? And Pascal Gross is going to suffer simply on the pace situation. He likes his team injected with pace almost all the way through and Gross ain't it. So I'm not sure whether he's going to look to earn a shit ton of money for by selling Gross or whether he just outright will have to find a way to shoehorn him in or again, whether he can develop him into something different, add a new dimension to his play. Uh, the biggest one of these midfielders that we've got a big question for here, and it's the the, the most controversial one, is Dale Stevens. Um, Dale Stevens is not cut out to do a job at centre midfield for Potter. Um, for example, his most successful defensive midfielder further up the leagues, uh, Nori, his most defensive midfielder scored six goals for Rostersund in one season. Um, can you see Dale Stevens scoring six goals for Brighton in one season? Uh, for reference, he scored 14 goals in 180 appearances, and a bunch of those were in League One and the Championship. Um, will he be used as a third centre-back? He is a good ball player. He probably could do it. I'm incredibly intrigued to see what the introduction of Potter means for Dale Stevens. Um, because I really don't know. <laughs> but I think he's going to be the one that's in the most uh, in the most sense of flux. So our shopping list for the summer, uh, based on, you know, history repeating itself and looking at Potter's style, uh, a right wing back, two wingers, two strikers, and a central midfielder, uh, I think are probably going to be the ones he's looking for. I think McBurney is probably going to be one of those strikers, um, and I have no idea on the rest because it knew you, we usually never have any idea on who we're going to sign until they're holding a t-shirt. So not only that, but he does like to bring people through. Um, so looking at the youth prospects, most likely to prosper under Potter, um, none of them probably will come as a surprise. Gaio Keres, I think, is probably going to definitely feature in the first team more this season. And I would not be surprised if Connolly stays at the at the club uh, instead of going out on loan and becomes um, at least a part of the 18, if not more, this season, depending on what Potter can do with him. Uh, Max Sanders, he's a very tidy central midfielder. He's had England attention. He's a good player. Um, he is probably someone that they will that Potter will look to bring through as well. Um, it would be insane for him not to, given what he's been able to do in the past. How are we going to line up next year? Anyone's guess. Um, Potter has shown he can adapt. It's shown he can put his players in position to succeed. Um, Bloom has hired Potter as a project. There's no doubt about it. Um, he's not going to get an itchy trigger finger if we start off poorly. Honestly, I don't think he's going to get an itchy trigger finger all the way through the game, uh, through the season, rather. Um, he is not going to sack him early. I think if we were to go down, he is still going to be our manager next year, or rather the year after, because we ain't even on this year now. Um, but this is an incredibly exciting appointment. Um, personally, I think that Bloom has made the absolute correct appointment for our future for our prospects um to get the most of this under 23 team that we've invested so much in uh and i'm super intrigued to see where it goes um i hope that this has been uh, eye-opening for you um in terms of the the statistics and what he has done with his teams in the past and what he looks for um in players and formations 
I hope that you uh, you can give me more advice on what you want to hear from me throughout the close season um, because I'm more than willing to listen to some uh, some ideas or if you want to come on and talk about anything Albion you're more than welcome um, don't forget to follow me at together BHA uh, together BHA at gmail.com for anything you want to email me about uh, like David did that pretty much sparked this whole episode um, and have an excellent Memorial Day weekend have an excellent bank holiday weekend at home in England uh, and just enjoy your three day weekend basically <laughs>